Welcome to the Plutonomics Podcast with Lori Cammie and Barnaby Levin. The word Plutonomics means the study of wealth. It's our mission to educate, to help clients think about their goals and how they might benefit from working with an advisor to achieve them. But more importantly, it's to make sure our listeners understand both the pros and cons of any issue so they can make informed decisions and increase the odds of finding the right answer for them. You see, it's not who's right or wrong, but knowing there are no disinterested parties or unbiased opinions and that where you sit depends on where you stand. The challenge to making good decisions is to start by questioning one's assumptions and to break free of our prejudices because the truth usually lies somewhere in between. There are always two sides to every issue, both of which have merit. Last week, we interrupted our normal schedule of podcasts to discuss some of the impacts the new administration's proposed tax plan might have on your investments because we were concerned that many of you might already be taking steps in response. We hope you found our thoughts of value. This week, as promised, however, we're discussing what we think some of the biggest trends will be over the next decade and offering insight as to how they will affect Lori's and my investment decisions. According to Strauss and Howe, in the fourth turning, there's a number of themes that have been repeated generation after generation for centuries. And by being aware of this, it can help us predict certain trends ahead of time. Many trends are evolutionary in nature, each building incrementally on one another, but some are the result of those rare instances of vision and inspiration that are revolutionary in nature and cause such a shift in the status quo that they change the direction of everything to come. That's what we're looking for, for things so seemingly simple as glass, which Stephen Johnson in his book, How We Got to Now, discussed. The invention of glass, for example, not only led to the telescope, TVs, and computer screens, but to fiberglass, which cable and telecom, and ultimately the internet were built. In healthcare, we're seeing this incredible acceleration in the industry overall, where scientists are creating more targeted pharmaceuticals to fit one's own DNA through personalized medicine and 3D printers, which are making everything from skin to robotic limbs and which will be critical components of space travel and colonization. Today, however, by merging technology, medicine, and data analytics, we're already beginning to see previously unattainable advances, curing diseases, and in many cases, doing so for less cost. Just think, for example, how the Gates Foundation recently funded a program combining an iPhone with a miniature satellite where a world-renowned surgeon here in the U.S. worked with another doctor half a world away and was able to guide a robotic arm to operate on a patient remotely and to use this revolutionary technology at a fraction of the cost it would have taken him to fly there and operate in a hospital in person. Now that's taking work from home to a whole new level. <laughs> but we are confident, aren't we, that this will eventually be the norm, driving down the cost of healthcare and broadening its applications worldwide. Like the great venture capitalist Sir Roger Cohen said in his book, Impact, he describes how innovation and public-private cooperation can improve all sorts of outcomes at a lower cost and how we're finally at the point where we can do so and make a profit. 
In other words, it isn't an either-or, zero-sum game anymore. Often we see these trends through the lens of war, as battles being waged between an entrenched legacy technology or way of doing things that's suddenly beset by some newcomer intent on disrupting it. One group is fighting for survival, while the other is seeking to advance the adoption of some new idea that may or may not provide a better product, and only time will tell if they're successful. We've seen this with codec and flash memory, online shopping versus traditional brick and mortar, and the automotive industry with the transition to EV. But in my opinion, the greatest example is artificial intelligence. AI is a hot topic because, quite frankly, the possibilities are endless. Whether it's applied to business intelligence and data analytics as with a Splunk or Salesforce or Palantir or autonomous driving, which once perfected and approved will impact everything from taxis to rail with vast convoys of driverless trucks that will change delivery and logistics by eliminating the need to constantly load and offload goods when going from point A to B. Or the advances we're making with genetics and brain implants. One day in the not-too-distant future, they'll allow a person to interact with and control their computer at the speed of thought. And once that happens, imagine the impact it will have not only on productivity, but even greater innovation. The way, for example, that Elon Musk, who I know you admire, Barnaby, talks about the machine that makes the machine with the help of AI and neural nets he and others are working on, it will push us to literally rethink everything from the beginning to end of the manufacturing process, improving cost and output, and of course, creating the need for a more highly trained workforce. The future, as Jonathan Gray at Blackstone says, is coming faster. And it really is. In fact, it can all be a little scary at times. We hope this innovation leads to a greater emphasis on things like trade schools here in the U.S., along with ongoing online education from the likes of Khan Academy, Udemy, and Coursera. We are seeing an accelerating trend toward this due to the Great Recession and now the coronavirus pandemic, but we hope it continues because if we can combine trade schools with mentor programs from companies in the private sector, it would serve them in the country as much as it does the people they educate and hire, as it already has in other parts of the world, including China. Meanwhile, while COVID has had plenty of impact on the economy in a negative sense, it's also led to a number of paradigm shifts. For example, the Great Recession forced children to move home out of need. But between it and the pandemic, they've also led to an accelerated the growth and success of things like Airbnb, which has disrupted the leisure and travel industry. Perhaps less obvious, however, we've also noticed more multi-generational and extended families living together as they once did centuries ago in agrarian economies. But these days, they're doing it out of choice to simultaneously solve the high cost of housing, the need for childcare when, as often happens, there are two working parents, and senior assisted living all at once. When my son graduated from college some years back, the speaker was the founder of Cisco. He said the companies they'd one day found or work for did not yet exist and how they needed to go out and build their future. Today's teenagers like to call themselves 
influencers, and they do impact where spending and their generation's creative forces will be directed, thereby shaping the economy. But something we touched upon in our demographics podcast on the importance of sustainable and reusable products, well, this is already the norm to the point where any company failing to address issues like this themselves will lose funding and business. And when it comes to families living together, as you said, it's already creating change and people may want to consider the kibbutz type system Israel used to create a country virtually overnight in the middle of a desert with little in the way of natural resources or money. Or speaking of deserts, water and the reuse of it where Israel has also led. Absolutely. As we watch with sadness, the wildfires in California, the lack of water is finally forcing people all over the world to invest in things like desalinization and even in Africa and the Middle East to diversify into industries other than oil to grow their economies. One of my favorite sayings from Jean Monnet is people only accept change in necessity and see necessity only in crisis. I think what Lori and I are saying, however, is in spite of the divisions our country is facing politically, we're excited about things we're seeing in the private sector and in their ability to improvise, adjust, and address important issues on their own with or without the help or interference of government. Sometimes it's better when people can work together in a spirit of cooperation like some developers are doing with local government when it comes to workforce housing. But it's not necessary. If governments can't agree on a timeline for addressing climate change, for example, or their roles and responsibilities in the process, private companies from Apple to Amazon will. Obviously, this is too big a topic to cover in one podcast, so we'll be returning from time to time with more. But in the meantime, please feel free to offer us feedback that you might have on what we said today. Like one of the listeners in our first podcast on asset allocation did, She asked, if you were receiving a lump sum payout from the sale of a business, would you invest immediately? Or if not, when would you know it's a good time to do so? The answer, like Warren Buffett said, is to invest when you have the money. But where you invest, that may differ because as Jim Cramer says, there's always a bull market somewhere. As to timing, however, historically, if you invested everything all at once at the top of the market instead of, say, averaging it out over 12 months, after 10 years, you'd have earned about the same. So it really depends on your time frame. But it's about make a plan, work a plan. And all the in-between on staying the course through all the ups and downs that's so difficult and yet so important to the process. Thank you for that question. And please share our podcast with your friends. In the meantime, please join us next week when we'll be discussing inflation versus deflation. What are they? How are they different? And where are we now in the economic cycle? This is Lori Cammy and Barnaby Levin for the Plutonomics Podcast signing off. LK Wealth and Asset Management and LCK Wealth are a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC, and advisory services through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the process or investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance, and any investment opportunities referenced may not be suitable for all investors. 
All data and information referenced are from sources believed to be reliable, and any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. Neither LK Wealth and Asset Management, LCK Wealth, or Hightower shall in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data, or for statements or errors contained in or admissions from the obtained data and information referenced. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced, and such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of LK Wealth and Asset Management and LCK Wealth, and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates.